Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracetoeugene.com. Here's the podcast. So last week, uh, Casey brought us the word about surrender. So we're going to continue with the Unshakable series today. And I am going to dig into direction and repentance. Woo! And how much we need it. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you graciously gave it to us so that we can know you better. And I pray today that we would hear your words um, and that it would draw us closer to you and uh, provide in us an urgency to share you with our community and with the people around us. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is titled Direction, and often when we think of direction, we think of, you know, where, where does God want us to go? Um, what is our purpose? Asking for guidance. Um, so we're talking about direction that could answer some of these questions, but maybe not in the way that we are usually asking for it. Um, The answer to the questions, what should we do, what's our purpose, and what should should we pursue in life is repentance. And so I've got a little story, and I did ask my daughter before that I could tell this, and chances are if you've talked to her, she's told you about this because she is a talkative little girl. Um, And whether you're a parent or have just been around kids, you do start to realize how much they teach you. Uh, while you think you're trying to teach them. So my daughter, Lila, she gets very carsick. And again, I'm sure you've heard about it. And we were, she was just old enough at this point to, we lived in Texas, and we were driving three to four hours to see my parents from time to time. She was just old enough to be distracted by a tablet, which was great, but a little too young to be able to give us much warning when she felt sick. You can imagine, I won't go into detail, but you can imagine that that was not ideal considering car seats. Um, And there was, it happened enough times that we're like, there's something going on here. And I had this revelation during one of our drives that it was her Kindle, that she, it was making her nauseous. Um, And I told her this in the middle of the drive. I said, girl, I think this is what's making you sick. And as soon as I said that to her, that girl chucked her Kindle so quickly to the floor of that car. And, you know, I wasn't super thrilled with throwing things in the car, but um, this was such a great picture of how we should treat sin. We should totally reject whatever activity it is that's causing us harm. And repentance is not just feeling guilty and saying sorry. We sometimes forget the, what this word really means. We say it a lot in the church but it is a complete rejection of sin, and it is a change of heart and behavior, a change of direction. Whether we like it or not, we're always moving in one direction or the other. We're either pursuing life and truth in Jesus, or we're pursuing death and darkness. There's no middle ground, but the good news, just so you don't think I'm just hammering hard, no encouragement, (laughs) The good news is that we have the ability to choose life, to choose truth, to choose Jesus. We can choose to turn from death and darkness to Christ, and that is through repentance. 
It's truly the foundation of our faith. It's the message that John the Baptist cried out when he was preparing the way for the Messiah, and it's the first message that Jesus preached after he was baptized. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's a brief statement and might sound pretty simple, but it's one of those easy to say, hard to do situations. We don't like to be told we're wrong, at least I don't. Even when we know that we're wrong, we don't like being called on it. And I think this is why the religious leaders were so often offended and angry by what Jesus said, because they had to admit, if they were going to accept him as Messiah and Savior, they had to admit that they were wrong, that they needed to repent, and that they were sinful. And this takes a great amount of humility. And if you're like me, sometimes, like I said, we kind of use this word and, and forget what it really means, and we sometimes equate it with just saying sorry. But unlike an apology, it's not a one-time event. The unshakable life that we're talking about is a lifestyle of repentance. So we're going to talk today about what that looks like. And it is a change of mind, a change of heart, and evidence of change. These all have to be a part of the picture for true repentance to happen. So the first step, changing of your mind is recognizing our sin. And that's not us changing our mind. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We can't do any of this stuff on our own. But it can only begin when we're confronted with truth and that we accept that. We accept that we have sinned and that we're in need of his grace. And in the story of the prodigal son, as he's in the midst of the consequences of his sin, he says, It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? This was a light bulb moment for him as he was deep in the consequences of his sin. And I read this and I I think, man, I hope that I can be convicted of my sin without being in the pig slop. And I do think there are times that God is gentle with us and we don't have to experience the Um, the the consequences we truly deserve, but so often we uh, don't wake up and have that light bulb moment unless we experience that, Uh, because God cares more about our faith and our growth than our comfort. Also not a fun thing to hear sometimes. And as I've recently been trying to teach my kids, there is a purpose to consequences. Consequences are what help us remember to not do it again. They're what God uses to teach us. And as much as I would prefer to not give consequences sometimes, I would not be doing my children any good. I wouldn't be doing right by them if I never gave them. But praise God, he is a much wiser parent than us. And sometimes I don't choose the right times to show all the grace and not give consequences, but he does. He knows exactly what we need to grow in our faith. to experience the conviction we need to move toward true repentance. And sometimes it's a little bit more than we would like to admit. And I also, as as we talk about consequences and bad things happening, I want to clarify that not every hard thing that happens is a direct consequence of sin. Um, 
It's often a lot of questions that we get as Christians, like, why do bad things happen to good people? And we're not truly good. Like, <laughs> we, we don't want to admit it, but um, we live in a broken world, and sometimes bad things happen. And God does use our consequences to reveal our sin, but any hard situation, he can use it and does use it to teach us. And God working in us leads us nicely to the next step of repentance, a change of heart. Once we recognize our sin, by his grace, he moves it from head to heart. In order to move in that direction, a person's emotions get involved. There's a godly grief over the sin committed. And there's an important difference between godly grief and worldly grief. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Paul is convicting the church of Corinth. And he says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. There's freedom in godly grief, whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief is a little bit like the sorry I got caught. There's a desire to avoid sin, but no desire to actually change. And there's no dependence on God to deliver us from sin. It becomes a cycle of sin, acknowledge, grief, repeat. And I don't know about you, I know we all have different struggles, but I am very experienced with godly or with the worldly grief. Um, as a kid, I was fairly obedient. I didn't get in trouble a whole lot, but I will admit it had nothing to do with me wanting to honor my parents and God. I was very motivated to not get in trouble. And even as a young adult, the temptation has not disappeared even now. I was often motivated by checking the box, doing the right thing, doing what, saying the things, doing the things that I knew I was supposed to do. And like so many sins, that is deeply rooted in pride. The outward behavior might be correct, but at a surface level, and it just keeps you in that cycle of sin. And whether you struggle with this to the same extent as me or not, I think we have all experienced times where we are just stuck in that cycle, where we might recognize that we have sinned, but we don't do that 180. We don't have that grief, the godly grief that causes us to turn from sin towards Christ. And on the other hand, godly grief involves true sorrow over our sin. There's a desire for mind and heart change. The cycle instead becomes sin, acknowledge, sorrow, repent, change. God called King David a man after his own heart, um, but I think if you know his story at all, you know he messed up in some major ways <laughs> involving murder and adultery. So those would be things that we consider pretty bad. However, if you read the Psalms that correspond with some of these things he was called out on, you see a deep grief that can only be that godly sorrow. And we know that because in Psalm 51, David confesses that he sinned against God and that God is right to judge him. But then he begs God to have mercy on him, but doesn't stop there. We often get to that point of, please have mercy on me. 
But he continues and says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. So when you've been convicted of sin, do you stop at asking for mercy and forgiveness? Or do you go beyond and say, God, I know I need a heart change. And asking him for that because you know you can't make that happen. We can't do that. And this psalm is actually a really great example of all of the changes that we're talking about today. He recognized his sin. He expressed the godly grief. He asked God for a change in heart, which is part of the evidence. And I highly suggest reading the psalms because there is a lot of that sorrow that we all need to experience when it comes to our sin. But then it ends in hope. Hope because God is good, not because we are or can be. So the final uh, evidence, it's, well, evidence of change, final piece of repentance is evidence of change. And repentance is not work to make up for sin, not to try to change or heal the damage caused, but there is an evidence of change. Sometimes, you know, we, we throw the, we know our faith is not works-based, and so we can sometimes forget or uh, forget the importance of the tangible, the change, the outward change. And in Luke 3, 8, and then 9 through 15, John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the crowd asks a question that I would hopefully ask as well. What should we do? Tell me what to do. And he answered them, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what should we do? He says, Don't collect any more than you're required to do. And then soldiers came and said, What should we do? And he replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, not every profession and person comes to John and asks this, and there's actually not very many times that we get such a, a detailed list that people come get a, a straightforward answer like that. But simply put, the fruit that is evidence of a repentant life is a life lived to honor God. And Jesus tells us what that looks like too. It's the most important commandments. When he was asked, what are the most important? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It involves action. It's the golden rule in Matthew 7. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So true repentance has taken place when we've reached that point, when there is evidence of change in our lives, when we have begun walking in the opposite direction of sin. And as we repent, we're not just acknowledging our sin. We're also acknowledging the depths of our need for his grace. And this is something that I don't think we can ever fully understand how much we need it. I think it's an important thing that we can pray. God, show me how much I need your grace. Because going back to Psalm 51, David shows his gratitude for the grace. And that prompted him to declare that he would tell others about God so that they can be a part of that, so that they can turn from their sin to God. So that gratitude from God should create, or for gratitude for his grace should create an urgency in us to share this news with others. 
I think we forget that. We get pretty focused on ourselves and how we're affected by it, but we should feel a joy and want to share that with others. So now that we've changed and there's evidence of change, when does the process complete? When can we stop repenting? Can we ever repent enough? And if you're following Christ, that would be never. We're never done. Uh, following Christ, repentance, it's a way of life. There's no checkbox to mark off. And if you're anything like me, I like to cross things off. I think there's a lot of people that like to cross things off the to-do list, even maybe add things that you've done to the to-do list so you can cross it off. I've <laughs> totally done that before. <clears throat> So being, never being done could sound really discouraging, but it's actually a really amazing thing. Because he's not asking us to walk around beating ourselves up, walking in shame, trying to work off our debt. We're never done because as we walk with Jesus, as we learn more about what it means to be in relationship with him, we become more aware of our sin, ourselves, and our God. And as we become more aware of our sin, we must continue that, that pattern of sorrow, repent, change. And our perfect father does not leave us where we're at. So that, that's his grace. That's not a discouragement. That's his grace that he continues to teach us and grow us. Sometimes we can view repentance as the first step of our faith journey, and then we're good. We move on to other things. But Christians are not immune to idols and temptations. In fact, our natural inclination is not towards holiness. <laughs> our natural inclination is towards evil. It takes us away from God. And apathy doesn't keep us at a standstill. We like to think that we can, even if we're not pressing in that we're at least in one spot, but it takes us further away. Jesus calls us to a changed heart, not just changed behavior, because all behavioral problems lead back to a heart problem. And that's so much of Jesus's ministry. The Sermon on the Mount, he spent the entire time saying, hey, there's this law, but here's the heart of it. You know, murder's wrong, it starts at hate. Adultery's wrong. It starts with lust. He spends so much time taking us deeper. But praise God, we don't have to fight our sinfulness alone. I think we sometimes try to do that, even if we know, even if we have that head knowledge that we can't do it by ourselves. It's so easy to get stuck in that, you know, God can use me if I get to this point. If I beat this temptation, if I work off this sin. But Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's not because we're stronger. That's not because we can fight sin better the longer we do it. It's because the more we pursue him, the, more, the better we can hear the Holy Spirit prompting us to repentance. We don't get better at it. We listen better. And we lean on him. We know who to go to when we 
feel that conviction, we know what that means. We know what the next steps are. Many times over the years, Lila has asked to try reading in the car again. And because every metaphor breaks down somewhere and reading in the car is not a sin, it would actually be really great for me. So far she still gets, I've let her try a few times, and so far she still gets nauseous every time. She knows to put it down though, so that's nice. But this week something new happened. She, I handed them a book, she got a new book, and I handed it to her in the car um, not because I wanted her to read it, but because I wanted it to make its way out of my car when we got out. Hoping that maybe if she had it, that would happen, but if you've had kids ride in your car, you know that's not a guarantee. <clears throat> she actually asked me to leave it up front because she didn't want to be tempted to read it. So it's not that we stop being tempted in this life. It's that we recognize it when it presents itself, and we turn to God to ask for help. And we don't have to and shouldn't wait until temptation is in front of us. Go to him, ask that he reveals the idols in your life and the sin. Ask that he gives you discernment, wisdom, strength. He says he will provide those for us when we ask. And we need those to turn away from our sin and to repent. And the goal isn't to not sin. It's like... With kids, sometimes they'll get as close as they can to what they're not supposed to do. But the goal is to not not cross the line. The goal is to turn the opposite direction and walk away from it. And I know it seems a little scary to ask God reveal the bad things in me. Because as we established earlier, we don't particularly like being told what's wrong with us. But we can choose to find joy in that because we know it is because of his love and kindness that he reveals those things to us. It's not a manifestation of his wrath that he asks us to repent. God's wrath is a thing, and it's an important thing for us to know about, but he calls us to be holy as he is holy because he loves us. And we can't pursue that on our own without God working on us. It's not about striving to be better. It's about allowing God to call us to better and trusting that he is faithful to work on us for his glory. In Romans 2, Paul is encouraging the church to not judge each other because only God can pass right judgment. He reminds us that we all deserve his wrath. But Paul also gives us this reminder and encouragement. Romans 2.4 says, do, not, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance? And after the flood, when God promised to never again destroy all living creatures, um, he then said, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood... <laughs> And I know that's not like the most encouraging thing to end on. But knowing that, we can be encouraged because he still made that promise, even though he knew there would be some major mess-ups along the way. He still made that covenant with Noah, and because he is gracious and kind and patient, he's offered us that life as well. And the first step is repentance recognizing that we've sinned and walking away from that. 
leaving our sin behind and walking toward Christ. And I can't talk about repentance. I know it seems like it's very focused on those of us who already know Christ. And this is important for us to remember. But if you don't know Jesus, this is for you too. He's calling you to him as well. His kindness is drawing you to repentance as well. He is our firm foundation, and he's the source of the unshakable life that we've been talking about. He wants to show you that grace. And the answers to repentance are not all in here. Hopefully, this actually brings more questions. We want to to know more, and so we pursue God in it. I just pray if you have more questions, if you desire to know Christ better, go to someone. Any leader in this room, anyone who knows Christ in this room would love to talk to you about it. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands. But if you do have any questions about it, you can also you know, write on the Connect card. Someone can reach out to you. Or if you know someone outside of this room that loves Jesus, go talk to them. And for those of us who do know Jesus, let's have an urgency. Let's pray for an urgency to share with these people. Not just wait for someone to walk up to you, but to go out and share it with our community. And as we go out this week, let us be intentional in our walk and direction. Not be apathetic in our faith. I pray that we start each day turning from God, or turning to God from sin. And may our focus be on him as we allow him to work in us, allow him to convict us and draw us to repentance and continue to walk in a lifestyle of repentance. Can we pray? God, we thank you so much that you are kind and patient, that you are generous with your grace. I pray that we would know better the depth of our need for your grace so that our joy and our desire to share flows out of that gratitude. God, I pray as we go out that we would share this good news with others and that we would love you better and walk towards you. In your name we pray, amen.